0: Riverina's Triple M, we're celebrating 90 years of 2WG and Triple M in the community this year, end of this month, in fact. And one man who's made a massive contribution to the station over the course of that time is uh, with me at the moment, Pat Coombs. Hello. Good morning, Lee. Pat, uh, how long How long were you part of uh, 2WG for?
1: 42 years. 42 years. 42 years. So when did you start? Well, actually, I started uh, back in 1967. sixty seven. Yeah. part-time, because the engineer that was looking after the station in those days was Alan Hewitt, who uh, succumbed to lung cancer. So he was pretty crook. Yeah. And they were dragging me in to look after the transmitters and things like that, and cart machines, which were an ongoing thing in those days. And Alan uh, subsequently had to retire altogether, and I took over full-time in 1971.
0: Mate, talk to us about some of your favourite memories of 2WG over the course of your career.
1: Oh, well, not necessarily favourite, but there's lots of memories there. Yeah. Well, first of all, it was uh, back in 1978 when the transmitter burnt down down at Brucedale. Well, uh, wow. Midnight, I got a phone call, uh, and I happened to be out at a farewell. They said the smoke's coming out of the building. And we used to close down at midnight in those days. Anyway, I got out to Brucedale, the fire go was out there, and the police and everybody else, and they wouldn't let us near the place. So we eventually got into the building at about 3 a.m., and uh, here was the transmitter, a big molten blob sitting on the floor, and uh, the transmitter just caught fire and blew it up like a forge. Yeah. But the old AWA transmitter, which was the original from 1951, uh, was sitting next door, and uh, I called a mate in who used to help me, Warren Williams, and uh, we worked head over heels for a couple of hours, and we eventually got the other one working. Uh, we had bits of string and chewing gum to hold it all <laughs> together. <laughs> and uh, we got it working. We were back on the air at about 25 to 6. We were five minutes late, so we got growled out for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we, we got going. And then the SRCs came out, SRCC came out because they used to have to investigate fires in those days. And the inspector walked in the door, and he took one look at the mess inside. All the walls were black. We had bits of figure-eight wire hanging across the floor to keep the power up to the old OMI transmitter. And uh, he just looked at me and he said, I think I'd better come back later. <laughs> so he disappeared. It's, it's an
0: amazing story. And, like, yeah. I think people hear all the stuff that happens on the air, but a lot of the stuff that's behind the scenes, which is so integral to this place going.
1: Yeah, well, in that, in that particular day... Um, the general public wouldn't have known that we'd just lost the transmitter. You know, we'd work fearlessly all night to try and get us going again. Yeah. And, and the, the worst part about it was we couldn't see what we were doing because all the whole of the inside of the building was black. The oh. ceiling, the walls, you know, visibility was virtually nil. Yeah. And we are running around with torches and lights and God knows what.
0: I remember you telling me a story as well. It might have been from the people before you about when the floods hit and t- taking boats out.
1: Yeah, it? yeah. Well, that, that's we had the nineteen seventy four floods. Yeah. And the idea was for me and the manager at the time to camp out at Dale in a caravan. Anyway, I wasn't all fussed about the caravan, so I stayed at the Red Steer Motel, <laughs> which you know just opened up then. Yeah. And got very friendly with the bloke that owned it, uh, Jeff Perriman. Yeah. So we had a wonderful couple of weeks holiday out there.
0: And kept the station on air at the <laughs> and time And kept well. the station
1: on air at the same time. Talk to us about the
0: story, because obviously 2WG started off down in Fitzmorris Street and was there for a whole number of years before moving up to the Lake Road building. Correct. How long did you have to build the radio station and the tech side of the radio station at Lake Albert Road after uh, you got told it was um, moving out? Six months. There
1: wasn't much time and yeah. we didn't have any money. They didn't give us any money to, to rebuild because we'd been taken over by another company at this stage. So, no, it was a nightmare.
0: So explain what that involves, moving a radio station from one building to another.
1: Well, we had to start from scratch. We had to keep the old station going yeah. uh, and, and build a new station. So we had to buy new consoles, which we bought on the cheap. Uh, the new owners weren't too keen to spend much money. So we, we had to sort of virtually start from scratch. And at the last minute, we then had to swing the uh, microwave links over because we couldn't buy new links. They were too expensive. Yeah. We had a spare link. So we just switched the links over on the one day, hoped that they were going to work, and they did. At that stage, too, we were running on landlines for TWG yeah. It was the FM station was running on the, on the microwave links. TWG was running on landlines out to Bruce Dale in those days to get the program out there.
0: Talk to us as well, you're talking about uh, links and landlines. I know a uh, lot's changed in the world of outside broadcasts. Yep. Talk to us, like nowadays when we go out, we take our little computer yeah. with us and you're basically up and running from wherever you are. Yep. Talk to us about uh, what we used to do, because there used to be the uh, caravan I know that you had for a, yes. a lot of years.
1: Yeah, we built the caravan about 1980. We bought a shell of uh, Windsor caravans in uh, Tomstown. Uh, we told them what we wanted, and they put the windows in and reinforced the walls and all sorts of things. And then we built built the caravan in the backyard.
0: And what was involved in getting a a broadcast from wherever it happened to be back to uh, well, back we to the were
1: state. tied in with Telecom or Telstra's, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, and we used uh, landlines, and we actually had uh, at in Fitzmorris Street we had thirty. Private lease wires, which we had around the town. We had them down at Huthwaite's shopping centre down the end of uh, Baylor Street, all sorts of places. Uh, we had the for- sporting grounds. We all had lines in there permanently. Yeah. Yeah, so we'd, we'd, we'd rock up there with our little outside broadcast amplifier or the caravan and plug into the landline the way we went. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing.
0: And that's how it, and then just basically got back over a high quality phone line. Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it was. What are some of the favorite things that you were involved in or what are some of the th- amazing the things that you look back fondly on over the years uh, from the with the station?
1: Uh well, I rebuilt the Fitzmaurice Street station twice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cuz it kept getting old. <laughs> yeah. It's funny so- though. In yeah, uh, 1985, we completely rebuilt the studios and that was because of uh, the onslaught of stereo. We had TWG as a stereo station in the early days, prior to new owners taking it over. So to do that, we had to rebuild the studios as a stereo unit. So that was that was a lot of fun. We had pretty much state-of-the-art set up in those days. We also, at that stage, put in a an automation system, which by today's standards, you would say it was a uh, Derby and Joan job. Yeah. pretty archaic. Okay. <laughs> we thought it was pretty wonderful how did that work it was computerized but it used uh, for the music side of things we didn't store the music in the computer as we do now we had some 60 channel cd players four of them for each station and uh, they held 200 odd cds and they were all remote control from the studio you just pushed a button and away it went they, they also had some DigiCart machines, which an American device, which had five or six hard drives in it, which we had music stored in that.
0: Talk to us a little bit about the history of the station, about the early history of the station, which we haven't really delved into. Do you know a lot about how it all started and uh, uh, over the years?
1: Yeah, well, it was started by uh, Eric and Nan Roberts, uh, who were school teachers from Randra originally. And they they had the bright idea of starting up a radio station in Wagga, I think it was in 1932. So they got the station going and uh, that's where the the Women's Club came into being. They had the Women's Club who financed the haven, as it was in those days. In the very early days it was pretty much home made. One of the early uh, engineers on the station, Alan Williams, who's now passed, he built a lot of the stuff, a lot of the old gear in the early days. Everything was done on the done as cheap as you could do it because uh, money was always tight. But in 1951, they contracted AWA to do a turnkey operation and they uh, provided two new transmitters, new studio equipment, little valve consoles, which were terrific because when you banged on them, the the valves inside were a bit microphonic and they'd go bing, bing, bing. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, everything, of course, was valve in those days. So you became a pretty much one arm valve jockey to keep the station going. And in those days, too, we used to have uh, the Australian Broadcast Control Board used to come around every year and do an inspection on your station. What and would they everything look- had to match up to their specifications.
0: So what would they look for?
1: Oh, they'd do uh, noise and distortion measurements, uh, frequency response measurements. Yeah, they'd just go through every bit of equipment. have, Even each individual cartridge machine oh, would wow. be tested and each pickup would be tested. Then if you uh, had too many things wrong, you get a black mark.
0: So it would have been a stressful time in the lead up to that to make sure everything. Yeah, it wasn't went.
1: much fun, yeah. actually. In yeah. fact, when I took it over, because uh, Paul Allen was uh, pretty sick, the station had slipped down quality-wise in that respect. And the first year that, that, that I was involved, they did a did a check on it. It was pretty pretty bad, <laughs> but. The next year we uh, we got stuck into it and we, we got through without any faults at all. But, yeah, that was a pretty stressful time.
0: Talk to us about some of the people who you worked with over the years as well.
1: Oh, who,
0: truth. I, cause there's Because there's been a few that you've come through. Who, who are some who you um, – and you always find in these roles that it's the people that you sort of tend to form relationships with. Who are some who you, yeah. you spend a lot of time with?
1: Uh, well, if you start back when I uh, – in the early days when I was working for them – on a uh, part-time, on-call basis, uh, one of the early managers was um, Colin Barrett, who uh, <laughs> it was a funny bloke. He didn't really, he didn't know much about broadcasting, <laughs> but he ran the ship for two or three years. And in those days, when you walked up the stairs from the ground floors where all the officers were and salespeople, and you go upstairs, and all the studios were upstairs, all the offices had open tops, yeah. so you, you could look at. As you go upstairs, you can look in their offices, oh. see, see what they're doing. Organ up there one day, here he is. He have got his feet up on the counter and he's cutting his toenails. <laughs> never forget that.
0: So like working hard, no doubt. Oh, flat out he yeah. was. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: another, another manager we had, a nice bloke, good bloke, uh, Eric Fisher. He was there for a while. Chris Calder, He was there for a number of years. Uh, he was pretty pretty good, good manager. And he moved on. And it was Graham Cross. Graham was there, and when we started up the FM station, yeah, Yvonne Braid, she got the manager's job uh, shortly after that.
0: And she was with the station. Oh, like she... well,
1: she was with the station from day one, like when she left school. Yeah, uh, she she started up there as, a, as an office girl, worked her way up the ranks.
0: Yeah, and the stu- like the studios here are the Yvonne Braid Studios. So in, oh, are because, they? Yeah, there was, oh, right. I think it was 49 years that she spent with the station in, in one capacity or another. Um, yeah, so,
1: You're pretty right.
0: Yeah. yeah, so just amazing. Yeah. Pat, it's been incredible chatting with you today and reminiscing. Uh, 90 years and you were here for around about half of it or so. and close uh, to it. Still, yeah. still around the place. And uh, what do you do to keep yourself occupied these days?
1: Uh, ride motorbikes.
0: Sounds like a good life. Good
1: idea. Yeah. yeah. And, of course,
0: you've got your uh, Christmas ride will be coming up uh, later in the year. Can yeah, the toy run
1: coming up in yeah. December yeah. again this year. Very yeah. good. So we'll be back to talk to you about that.
0: Looking forward to it. Mate, yeah. always a pleasure to catch up. Yeah. And thanks for your time today. And uh, look forward to hearing more about the station.
1: Good on you, mate.